these moments matter because when you're taking a vote and when you're thinking about how decisions affect people, you remember standing on their doorstep. You remember what they were eating and maybe they weren't eating the most fancy dinner. Maybe you have a, a lady who was eating cup of noodles at her front doorstep and she's living in a trailer house and you wonder what that lady does to get by. I mean, you very much can see the people that you represented. And so I, I feel strongly about making that connection with folks. And it's one thing that I, I do enjoy about the campaign process. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you're listening to Women in Wyoming, where I talk with inspiring and influential women around the state and learn about their lives, journeys, and how they got to where they are today. This time, a story about self-starting and stepping up. In January 2017, Affie Ellis became the first Navajo and first Native American person to ever serve in Wyoming's state Senate. A mom of three in Cheyenne, Wyoming, Affie's adamant that her rise to politics is a job, not her identity, and she's committed to doing the best job possible for Wyoming. Here's Affie. Tell me about your family. How did they come to Wyoming? I have the best family, and they've got a really interesting story about how they got to Jackson. Both of my parents are Navajo, and they grew up on the reservation. And back in the 1950s, there was a big push to get Native kids a trade education. So both of my parents were sent to a school in Utah. And at that school, my dad learned how to weld. My mom learned just general cleaning service trades. And when they graduated, they decided to move to Jackson, where my dad got a job. And that's where they raised our family. Was there a reason why they picked Jackson in particular? I think they loved Jackson in the 50s. It was a still very much a kind of a rowdy cow town and you know anyone who's visited the word hotel and sees the gambling tables can only imagine how fun of a place and wild of a town that used to be and you grew up working class in jackson so what was that like growing up in a town that is incredibly affluent and one of the wealthier places if not the wealthiest place in our state both of my parents worked very hard my dad runs his own welding shop and then my mom worked at a dry cleaner and then on the weekends cleaned rooms at a motel so that was the norm for me growing up and it didn't take until me leaving Jackson to realize how much we worked and how difficult it is just to make ends meet in that town. By Wyoming standards, we were a very normal middle-class family, but by Jackson standards, we really had to hustle just to make ends meet. But I wouldn't trade that experience for anything just because it taught me so many lessons about perseverance, work ethic, and really kind of lit the fire under me to take hold of my future and and make some pretty bold changes knowing that I didn't want to work really hard for minimum wage the rest of my life. You're the youngest of four, correct? Yes. And you were the first person in your family to go to college. So tell me about where that drive came from. Was it from your family? Was it more self-realized? I remember when I got into the University of Wyoming, my family was pretty sad that I was leaving, knowing that I'd be gone for four years. So it was very much something that I took upon myself, but a lot of it grew out of my experience cleaning rooms. And I just will remember one day when I was cleaning a bathroom and you could tell that the woman who was staying at that hotel had beautiful things, beautiful clothes, luggage, jewelry. And I remember seeing her eye cream on the counter and I picked it up and I thought about actually putting it on my face just because it was expensive and it looked luxurious. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, so is this my life? I'm gonna be always envying things that are out of my reach working again really hard for minimum wage just to make ends meet, or am I gonna do something about it? Kind of at that moment, just felt shame and thought I need to do something different, but I didn't know what to do. And so I figured that the first step for me would be to go to college. And it seemed like college educated people didn't have to clean motel rooms. And for me, that was a huge step up. 
So I very much bumbled my way along the path of wanting to get to college on a scholarship. And that wasn't easy, but I, I definitely had a loving family that was supportive. So I at least had that going for me. How old were you at that moment? Probably about 14. You knew in that moment that okay, I have to get to college. So then what, how did you actually find yourself getting a scholarship and making your way to university? Well, I think no one can ever underestimate the power of their parents. I mean, if, if I got nothing else from my folks, it's that they know the value of hard work. And so I just channeled all of that energy and focus into my studies. And in high school, I remember an opportunity coming up to be an intern for the Wyoming legislature. And my family had known Clarine Law, cleaned rooms for her, And I reached out to her and she recommended me to that program and helped me write my essay. I look back at some of those moments when I came to Cheyenne after being selected for it, I just saw a completely different world. I found found politics in the Wyoming legislature to be wildly fascinating. How policy's made, it's it's much of what's right academically as it is what people are feeling and thinking. So there's a very human element to it. Definitely credit, you know, some of those people in Teton County who are willing to help lift up kids. And, you know, certainly as an adult, that's a person that I hope to be is someone that inspires and encourages kids to get outside their comfort zone, to see more of the world and to chase their passions. And that was just a theme that I've had throughout my life is making sure that I'm giving back because I know that that creates opportunities for others. And I feel like this life is kind of, it's supposed to come full circle. The more you give, the more you get. And so I just want to pour my heart out into giving as much as I can. And it seems like I can't ever give back enough. Um, I seem to always be on the receiving end of so many great opportunities. And I just want that for everybody. How did being in Navajo and Wyoming affect your life and your journey? Growing up as a Navajo person in Jackson, I just, I never thought about it until it was my first year of kindergarten when my mom was getting me ready and she looked at me and she said, you might not want to tell too many kids that you're Navajo because people aren't always nice to Indians. And several years ago when my kids started kindergarten, that memory came flooding back to me and, um, you know, obviously we live in a different time where I can tell my kids that being Navajo is really awesome and that a lot of people think it's cool and they should embrace that. But growing up with my experience, I do remember there were moments where kids would tease me in elementary school, just didn't have the the confidence to shake off some of those remarks and moments. So it was something that I hid for a long, long time or just didn't talk about. But in high school, I remember competing in a junior miss competition and my talent was giving a speech about Navajo long walk. And I did overhear someone say, oh, she just is doing that. She's playing the race card because she wants a scholarship. And it just really cut me. I think back on that moment and my family still practiced some traditional Navajo things, but I wanted a deeper understanding of what that meant. And so when I started college at the University of Wyoming, they had an American Indian Studies program, which you could get a minor in. And I took all of those classes from literature to anthropology to some of the cultural things. But of all of them, the legal classes really struck me as being the most interesting. And so when I moved to Washington, D.C. to work for U.S. Senator Craig Thomas, he served on the Senate Indian Affairs Committee. You started understanding how federal Indian law and policy comes to be and how dynamic it is. And it's so tied to just an amazing history and really a story of America that for me, I was drawn to really understanding what it meant legally to be Navajo. And it was a a big force for me to continue on and working for an agency called the National Indian Gaming Commission. That's a federal regulatory agency. But also when I came back west to go to law school, I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder because they have an amazing Indian law program. I'm just excited to to keep up with some of those developments and hopefully have my hand in, in guiding some policy. You became the 
first Native American person ever to be elected into the Senate in Wyoming and the first Native American woman to the legislature. What does that mean to you? It's a tremendous honor, and I don't think I think of it in terms, when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't see myself that way. I think I'm just a person doing a job and a very lucky one to have that honor and privilege to do that work. But there are definitely times where people will ask me about that, and it is inspirational when I see other women doing things like this around the country. I think it's just kind of grappling with that notion that you've done something that no one else has ever done, but also not wanting to just leave it at that, but also be really good at what we're doing in that chamber and be good at what I'm doing and making sure I'm contributing a lot. So it's a huge feat for me and a first step, but I I just know I've got more work ahead of me. Before running for office, you're a lawyer and a businesswoman. What was the moment that made you say, I'm going to do it, where you wanted to run? Well, I had participated in a Wyoming Women's Legislative Caucus. They have a Leap into Leadership event. And so I participated in that and was encouraging other women to run. And I think for a lot of women, and not just women, but men too, looking at our underrepresentative numbers, I think it definitely affects our gender a little bit more. I was thinking about it. The worst thing you can do is lose. And once you get your head around how bad that would be to lose, it's really not that bad. And it's something you, you can recover from. You'll learn great lessons. I was in the chamber with my daughter, the Senate chamber, and this was before I decided to run. And I usually try and get my kids in there to participate and sit in the gallery and listen to some of the debate. And she looked in the Senate chamber and she asked me, Mom, do they let girls serve in the Senate? And it just made my heart sink. And I said, yes, honey, there's one woman sitting right there. And it was Bernadine Kraft who had just announced her retirement. And so I thought there's a great chance that if no women run and win, we will have a chamber where there's zero women serving in the Wyoming Senate. I couldn't shake the thought, just did a lot of soul searching and visited with a friend of mine and sought her counsel. And she said, absolutely, you should do this. And we need women, mainly in Cheyenne, to step up because at the end of the day, you'll go home, you'll kiss your kids. So if you want to be the voice of a young working mom, we need that voice coming from Cheyenne. The more I thought about it, the more I thought that this was something I needed to do. And, you know, for me, the metric is and will always be how much have I got to give. And I I think that sometimes, as I said, these positions become so consuming. They're part of your identity. For me, I, I want this to be a job that I do. And I'll look at my job performance if I'm accomplishing things, if I'm bringing ideas to the table, if I have the energy and passion that I think these jobs require, I'll still do it. But once those energies start going away and you're not really adding much to the conversation, I think it's fair and appropriate to say, I've given it my all. It's time for someone else to take over. Having been involved in politics, I think there's a a feeling or a thought that, well, there's just no one out there who can do it as good as I can. And I need to run again, and they feel obliged. And and I don't believe that at all. I think that there are talented people all across this state. And unless and until there's an open seat, they don't even think about running. So, you know, I I certainly hope I'd never start thinking that way if no one else can do this job as good as I can, because people can and they will rise up. That story about your daughter is so powerful and also just like crushing (laughs) to have her say that. But for you, I mean, you grew up having some exposure to politics. So do you ever remember having a moment like that and thinking, can I be in here? I think that when I was in high school and I first saw how the legislature worked, I absolutely thought I would run someday. You know, if you asked me 20 years ago, when I think I would have told you I'd run in Teton County and be like clearing law. Then, you know, you have all these life experiences and then you realize that there's so many fulfilling things and ways to make a difference in your community that maybe you don't need to be the face of that. You don't need to be the candidate. 
And so there were, for the majority of my life, I was very happy to support candidates like Senator Thomas, who I worked for to help Wyoming, but also contributing in other ways. So it was a, it's kind of been an on-off thing, but the opportunity was there. And again, I just thought the worst thing that can happen is I lose. In losing, I think you learn a lot of lessons along the way. And and I wasn't afraid to lose as long as I knew I ran a good campaign. What was the most challenging part of your campaign process after deciding you were going to run? You know, fortunately, I think I had a really good experience in that my opponent was a very gracious individual. We ran a, both ran very clean campaigns. The hardest part about it is the work and coming up with a plan and executing a plan. As long as you're not afraid of how grueling that can be. And if you're doing a Wyoming campaign, I would highly recommend to folks to go door to door. That's just a lot of work. And you do meet some people sometimes who are very unpleasant to you. And the best lesson, though, you can learn is how to shake that off and move on to the next house because you have to. You're going to get done with your your walking. Once you start looking at those challenges as opportunities, it's actually kind of fun. But the hard part is honestly getting in your car, driving to that neighborhood when you're tired and you want to just sit down and eat dinner with your family and, and getting out there and knocking on that first door. But once you get started, then it's hard to stop. And these moments matter because when you're taking a vote... And when you're thinking about how decisions affect people, you remember standing on their doorstep. You remember what they were eating, and maybe they weren't eating the most fancy dinner. Maybe you have a a lady who was eating a cup of noodles at her front doorstep, and she's living in a trailer house, and you wonder what that lady does to get by. I mean, you very much can see the people that you represented, and so I I feel strongly about making that connection with folks, and it's one thing that I, I do enjoy about the campaign process is meeting those people out there even though you do meet some people that can be very unpleasant. If you don't like people, don't get into politics. I will say that. It's not the right <laughs> thing advice. for you. good advice. What other advice do you have for people <laughs> considering a career in politics? Well, I think that's the hard part of it too is, you know, there's the policy piece of it, understanding the issues. And I like that work. But then there's just the, the, the people side of it. Again, I don't think I'm the only person that out there that sees both sides of it. But I think that's one of the great things, though, about our legislatures. When all those folks come together, the things we produce are products of these very different skill sets. To be part of it, it's absolutely humbling. And you have three kids, so how did they respond when you told them you wanted to run for office? I have a really supportive family, and I tell people all the time how critical it is, especially to have a spouse that understands who you are and values what you value and understands your goals. And so fortunately, I've got that and in my husband, Dennis, and he and I have three beautiful kids. Their ages are nine, seven, and three. And last year, I did a lot of soul searching on whether or not I wanted to run for, for the Senate, knowing that it would be a huge time commitment and it would require us to change up quite a bit of our routine and our daily lives. So after my husband and I had talked about it and I was leaning toward doing it, I told him I was going to ask the kids when I picked them up from school. They got in my car and I started driving home and I, I said, you know, this is a big race what do you guys think about me doing this? It'll be a lot of work. People might say some mean things about me, but this race is important to me. And my daughter, Marlo, eight at the time, said, Mom, you would be so good at this. I'll do whatever you need. I'll help you out with whatever. And I was like, thank you, Marlo. And so I look at my son, who was seven at the time, and I said, Archie, what do you think? And he said, Mom, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but I just don't think you're ready. And so I look around, and I look at him, and I say, I'm not ready. He said, well, maybe if you're more like Dad. And at this point, I pull over my car, I'm coming unglued, 
And he's, I said, so I'm too, I'm not ready, and I need to be more like Dad. What do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, when Dad gets ready for his big marathon-type races, he's on the treadmill every morning. I never see you on the treadmill, so I think you might hurt yourself. And so I just completely melted and started laughing, and it was a fa- absolutely fair criticism. So I better explained what kind of a, a race I meant, and he said, oh, yeah, Mom, you'd be great at that. You should do it. So sweet. (laughs) I know. These kids, they're great. I mean, you've talked about wanting to give back and especially sort of leave a better world for future generations. And I know your kids are probably a huge part of that. So now that you've had your first term under your belt, what are some of the takeaways and your focus for the next upcoming session? After the session, a lot of people asked if I had fun. For me, fun is riding my bike or laying by a beach. The work is tremendously rewarding, but it is difficult. It's important to understand the process though and really embrace that. And I think that that's one area where, you know, the longer I do this, the more I hope to be effective is embracing that I'm not the the sole person that gets to decide what words are on the page. I mean, it's a collaborative process. You have 89 other people that are going to chime in and weigh in. And so the sooner and better you embrace that idea, I think the more successful you'll be. But definitely Wyoming, I think some of its character and what makes it so special is that we have a citizen legislature. So I very much like the fact that we meet for very short periods of time because people go back to their daily lives and they have their careers and their expertise that they bring to our chamber. But the challenge in that is it is a huge time commitment. I think that's a reason why you see certain demographics not always being able to run. I feel very fortunate to be in Cheyenne, to be a woman, and to have a career that allows me the flexibility to serve in the legislature We've got just a lot of work ahead of us, and I think there are some values that are pretty common throughout the state, and certainly not for everyone, but that we're a state that lives within our means. People that have served in the legislature always appreciate that we balance our budget and that we're very mindful of how we spend our dollars. And so I think I think of this role as one of a fiduciary where I should be able to tell any taxpaying citizen how we're spending their dollars and and making sure I've got an understanding of that. It's a big system. We regulate several different industries. There's just a, a lot of work in knowing how decisions you make affect people, but that's definitely a challenge that I'm drawn to. You seem so much more seasoned than just serving one term. So where does that confidence come from? Or did you ever have any doubts when you made that decision, I'm going to run? Well, my first job out of college was working for U.S. Senator Craig Thomas in Washington, D.C., and he was a wonderful guy. And again, talking about people that really focus on bringing up young Wyoming talent, he definitely did that for not just me, but countless of other people throughout the state. And being around individuals like that, I think you could see some of the best and worst parts of politics. So, you know, things I saw Craig do, he was very honest with people. He always took time to greet the the elevator operator, and he was just a very gracious person. But then you'd see other members of Congress who you, it would go to their head. The title became their identity. And there've been lots of studies done on why certain members of Congress do very crazy things or have these behavioral outbursts, that craving of needing to feel something, to do something daring. And so I think that my career in politics, I just always want to remain even-headed and know that this is a job, not an identity. And so when I ran for the legislature, I knew that it wouldn't just be a journey of learning about policy and decision-making, but it would be one of self-growth and really becoming the person that you really want to be, which is someone who understands the severity of the decisions we make, respects the chamber that we serve in, and knowing that it's greater and it'll long outlast me 
beyond my time on this earth. So it, it's, it's fitting into a very large story that is Wyoming's story. You know, I've been lucky to kind of go down this path, but I'm always open to something different that might take me a completely different direction. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about just what you're giving. And as I said, when, it seems like in my life, the more that I give, the more that this world gives me back. What has been one of the most defining themes that you feel like has gotten you to where you are right now? I think that it's healthy and important to really take every moment for what it is and to take every day for what it is. Because if I look back and I I think about this, if I went back in time and could meet myself in high school, what would I say to myself? And I think there's a distinction between having a dream, between setting goals and then taking steps. And they're all very important to have setting dreams and daydreaming is wildly important and that's fun it's a lot harder though to take those grueling steps to get where it is that you want to go and then sometimes you're not sure where it is that you want to go so it's finding purpose in every day in every step that you're taking I think becoming a parent um, and having kids has taught me that in spades I think anyone who has kids will say I get my parents now so much more and why they were frustrated with me or but living in the moment, and I think that's the best thing that kids teach you, is they're not worried about yesterday. They're not worried about tomorrow. They're laughing and jumping on the trampoline right now. I've gone through those years, too, where do you want to be the mom that says, no, I don't want to be in the water fight, or no, I don't want to jump on the trampoline, and just reminding myself, go play and have fun, and that's what we're here to do, is to make these memories and enjoy the little things and everything that's around us. So having a lot of faith that whatever path you're on, it's going to be okay. And like everyone else, I have days that are awful. And I always think that the cure for those days is a good night rest and a cup of coffee the next morning. I think it's, it takes a little bit of time though, to understand that and have that confidence that every day matters. And that even if that's not your day, tomorrow will be, and that it's okay to just kind of ease into this life a little bit and just be aware of what's around you and looking for opportunity. I think I've got a destiny to be one of those cool old Navajo grandmothers that makes amazing fry bread and gives the best hugs and is really warm and is kind of off the wall and tells inappropriate stories. I mean, so if I've got a dream, I think that's it. And so it seems like all these goofy things I'm doing in my life are just leading up to being that grandma on the rocking chair that can tell a good story and have some interesting things to share with my family. So I would say that at this point in my life, and I think that's kind of always been my calling is that's my dream is I want to be that cool grandma. It's a good dream. It's a real good dream. (laughs) That was Wyoming State Senator Affie Ellis. To see Affie's full profile and portraits, visit our website at womeninwyoming.com. And if you like what you hear, let us know. We'd love to hear from you and how you're liking the series so far. Drop us a line on our site or follow us on Instagram at Women in Wyo. This project is supported in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council and the Equipoise Fund. Momentum is our nonprofit fiscal sponsor. If you're interested in sponsoring a profile or making a tax-deductible contribution to see more stories about how women shape the West, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on our site or send us an email to support at womeninwyoming.com. Thanks so much again for tuning into the series so far. I'm really happy you're here. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you've been listening to Women in Wyoming. Women in Wyoming.